Welcome to the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. This podcast will be a sharing of part of my morning routine as I prepare for the day with the Word of God. We will be partaking of Puritan prayers from the Valley of Vision, each day's morning devotional from Charles Haddon Spurgeon's Morning and Evening, and we'll be reading from the Legacy Standard Bible, which is the newest and, I believe, the most accurate translation of the Word of God. We will be following a Bible reading calendar that provides for reading the whole Bible in a year that was created by Minister Robert Murray McShane for his congregation back in 1842, and that has been a part of my daily reading for over six years now. Good morning and welcome to the morning segment of the Thursday, November 9th episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I'm Wayne Floyd, your host. Faith Comes From Hearing podcast is a humble member of the Christian podcast community. You can find us over at christianpodcastcommunity.org. A lot of great listening over there. Over 60 well-curated podcasts, wide, wide variety of topic areas, all approached from a biblical worldview. I will guarantee you, you're going to find something over there to listen to. And there's a really good possibility that you'll find more over there to listen to then you actually have time to listen to it in. All right, well, it's Thursday. Uh, we've gotten over the middle of the week, so we're going to go ahead and do our Bible reading, and then we're moving on into John chapter 15 for the evening segment. So let's go ahead and open up with the fifth day morning prayer. It's called The Giver. Let's pray. Creator, upholder, and proprietor of all things, we cannot escape from thy presence and control, nor do we desire to do so. Our privilege is to be under the agency of thy omnipotence, righteousness, wisdom, patience, mercy, and grace. For thou art love with more than parental affection. We admire thy goodness, stand in awe of thy power, abase ourselves before thy purity. It is the discovery of thy goodness alone that can banish our fear, allure us into thy presence, help us to bewail and confess our sins. We review our past guilt and are conscious of present unworthiness. We bless thee that thy steadfast love and attributes are essential to our happiness and hope. Thou hast witnessed to us thy grace and mercy in the bounties of nature, in the fullness of thy providence, in the revelations of scripture, in the gift of thy Son, in the proclamation of the gospel. Make us willing to be saved in thy own way, perceiving nothing in ourselves but all in Jesus. Help us not only to receive him, but to walk in him, depend upon him, commune with him follow him as dear children imperfect but still pressing forward not complaining of labor but valuing rest not murmuring under trials but thankful for our state and by so doing let us silence the ignorance of foolish men amen all right and our devotion this morning the text for it is from colossians 2 6 so walk ye in him if we have received christ himself in our inmost hearts our new life will manifest its intimate acquaintance within, with him by a walk of faith in him. Walking implies action. Our religion is not to be confined to our closet. We must carry out into practical effect that which we believe. If a man walks in Christ, then he so acts as Christ would act. For Christ being in him, his hope, his love, his joy, his life, he is the reflex of the image of Jesus. And men say of that man, he is like his master. He lives like Jesus Christ. Walking signifies process, or progress, sorry. So walk ye in him. Proceed from grace, from grace to grace. Run forward until you reach the uttermost degree of knowledge that a man can attain concerning our beloved. 
Walking implies continuance. There must be a perpetual abiding in Christ. How many Christians think that in the morning and evening they ought to come into the company of Jesus, and may then give their hearts to the world all the day? But this is poor living. We should always be with him, treading in his steps and doing his will. Walking also implies habit. When we speak of a man's walk and conversation, we mean his habits, the constant tenor of his life. Now if we sometimes enjoy Christ and then forget him, sometimes call him ours and anon lose our hold, that is not a habit. We do not walk in him. We must keep to him, cling to him, never let him go, but live and have our being in him. As ye have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. Persevere in the same way in which ye have begun. And as at the first Christ Jesus was the trust of your faith, the source of your life, the principle of your action, and the joy of your spirit. So let him be the same till life's end, the same when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and enter into the joy and the rest which remain for the people of God. O Holy Spirit, enable us to obey this heavenly precept. All right. So our reading for the day is going to be Ezekiel 20, Hebrews 9, verses 11 through 28, Psalm 107, and Proverbs 27, verse 11. So Ezekiel 20, hear the word of the Lord. Now it happened in the seventh year, in the fifth month, on the tenth of the month, that some of the elders of Israel came to inquire of Yahweh and sat before me. And the word of Yahweh came to me, saying, Son of man, speak to the elders of Israel and say to them, Thus says Lord Yahweh, do you come to inquire of me? As I live, declares Lord Yahweh, I will not be inquired of by you. Will you judge them? Will you judge them, son of man? Make them know the abominations of their fathers, and say to them, Thus says Lord Yahweh, On the day when I chose Israel, and swore to the seed of the house of Jacob, and made myself known to them in the land of Egypt, when I swore to them, saying, I am Yahweh your God. On that day I swore to them to bring them out from the land of Egypt into a land that I had selected for them, flowing with milk and honey, which is the glory of all lands. I said to them, Cast away, each of you, the detestable things of his eyes, and do not defile yourselves with the idols of Egypt. I am Yahweh, your God. But they rebelled against me and were not willing to listen to me. Each one did not cast away the detestable things of their eyes, nor did they forsake the idols of Egypt. Then I said I would pour out my wrath on them, to spend my anger against them in the midst of the land of Egypt. But I acted for the sake of my name, that it should not be profaned in the sight of the nations among whom they lived, in whose sight I made myself known to them, by bringing them out of the land of Egypt. So I took them out of the land of Egypt and brought them into the wilderness. I gave them my statutes and made them know my judgments, which if a man does them he will live by them. And I also gave them my Sabbaths to be a sign between me and them, that they might know that I am Yahweh who sanctifies them. But the house of Israel rebelled against me in the wilderness. They did not walk in my statutes, and they rejected my judgments, which, if a man does them, he will live by them, and my Sabbaths they greatly profaned. Then I said I would pour out my wrath on them in the wilderness to completely destroy them. But I acted for the sake of my name, that it should not be profaned in the sight of the nations, before whose sight I had brought them out. 
Also I swore to them in the wilderness that I would not bring them into the land which I had given them, flowing with milk and honey, which is the glory of all lands, because they rejected my judgments, and as for my statutes, they did not walk in them, they even profaned my sabbaths, for their heart continually walked after their idols. Yet my eye had pity on them rather than bringing them to ruin, and I did not make of them a complete destruction in the wilderness." I said to their children in the wilderness, Do not walk in the statutes of your fathers, and do not keep their judgments, and do not defile yourselves with their idols. I am Yahweh your God. Walk in my statutes, and keep my judgments, and do them. Keep my Sabbaths holy, and they shall be a sign between me and you, that you may know that I am Yahweh your God. But the children rebelled against me. They did not walk in my statutes, nor were they careful to do my judgments, which if a man does them, he will live by them. They profane my Sabbaths. So I said I would pour out my wrath on them, to spend my anger against them in the wilderness. But I turned back my hand, and acted for the sake of my name, that it should not be profaned in the sight of the nations in whose sight I had brought them out. Also I swore to them in the wilderness that I would scatter them among the nations, and disperse them among the lands because they had not done my judgments, but had rejected my statutes, and had profaned my sabbaths, and their eyes were going after the idols of their fathers. And I also gave them statutes that were not good, and judgments by which they could not live. And I pronounced them unclean because of their gifts, and that they caused all their firstborn to pass through the fire, so that I might make them desolate, in order that they might know that I am Yahweh. Therefore, son of man, speak to the house of Israel, and say to them, Thus says Lord Yahweh, Yet in this your fathers have blasphemed me by acting unfaithfully against me. Indeed, I brought them into the land which I swore to give them, and they saw every high hill and every leafy tree, and they offered there their sacrifices, and there they gave the provocation of their offering. There also they made their soothing aroma, and there they poured out their drink offerings. Then I said to them, What is the hype? Excuse me. What is the high place to which you are going? So its name is called Rama, to, or sorry, Bama to this day. Therefore say to the house of Israel, Thus says Lord Yahweh, Will you defile yourselves in the way of your fathers, and play the harlot after their detestable things? And when you offer your gifts, when you cause your sons to pass through the fire, you are defiling yourselves with all your idols to this day. And shall I be inquired of by you, O house of Israel? As I live, declares Lord Yahweh, I will not be inquired of by you. And what comes upon your spirit will not happen when you say, We will be like the nations, like the families of the lands, to minister to wood and stone. As I live, declares Lord Yahweh, surely with a strong hand and with an outstretched arm and with wrath poured out, I shall be king over you. And I will bring you out from the peoples and gather you from the lands where you are scattered with a strong hand and with an outstretched arm and with wrath poured out. And I will bring you into the wilderness of the peoples, and there I will enter into judgment with you face to face, as I entered into judgment with your fathers in the wilderness of the land of Egypt. So I will enter into judgment with you, declares Lord Yahweh. And I will make you pass under the rod, and I will bring you into the bond of the covenant, and I will purge from you the rebels and those who transgress against me. I will bring them out of the land where they sojourn, but they will not enter the land of Israel. Thus you will know that I am Yahweh. As for you, O house of Israel, thus says Lord Yahweh, Go serve everyone his idols. 
but after this you will surely listen to me, and my holy name you will profane no longer with your gifts and with your idols. For on my holy mountain, on the high mountain of Israel, declares Lord Yahweh, there the whole house of Israel, all of them, will serve me in the land. There I will accept them, and there I will seek your contributions and the choicest of your gifts with all your holy things. As a soothing aroma, I will accept you when I bring you out from the peoples and gather you from the lands where you are scattered. And I will prove myself holy among you in the sight of the nations, and you will know that I am Yahweh when I bring you onto the ground of Israel, into the land which I swore to give to your fathers. And there you will remember your ways and all your deeds with which you have defiled yourselves, and you will loathe yourselves to your own faces for all the evil things that you have done. Then you will know that I am Yahweh, when I have dealt with you for my name's sake, not according to your evil ways or according to your corrupt deeds, O house of Israel, declares Lord Yahweh. Now the word of Yahweh came to me, saying, Son of man, Set your face toward Teman, and speak, dripping out words, against the south, and prophesy against the forest land of the Negev. And say to the forest of the Negev, Hear the word of Yahweh. Thus says Lord Yahweh, Behold, I am about to kindle a fire in you, and it will consume every green tree in you, as well as every dry tree. The blazing flame will not be quenched, and the whole surface from south to north will be scorched by it. And all flesh will see that I, Yahweh, have made it burn. It shall not be quenched. Then I said, Ah, Lord Yahweh, they are saying of me, is he not just speaking parables? All right, Hebrews 9, verses 11 through 28. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this, this creation, and not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood. He entered the holy places once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling those who have been defiled sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And for this reason he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that since a death has taken place for the redemption of the trespasses that were committed under the first covenant, those who have been called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. For where a covenant is, there must of necessity be a death of the one who made it. For a covenant is valid only when men are dead, for it is never in force while the one who made it lives. Therefore not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment has been, had been spoken by Moses to all the people, according to the law, he took the blood of the calves and the goats, with water and scarlet wool and hyssop, and sprinkled both the, sorry, both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant which God commanded you. And in the same way, both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry he sprinkled with the blood. And according to the law, one may almost say, All things are cleansed with blood, and without shedding of blood there is no forgiveness. Therefore it was necessary for the copies of the things in the heavens to be cleansed with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ did not enter holy places made with hands, mere copies of the true ones, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Nor was it that he would offer himself often as the high priests enter the holy places year by year with blood that is not his own. Otherwise he would have needed to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now, once at the consummation of the ages, he has been manifested to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. 
and inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once, and after this comes judgment, so Christ also, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time for salvation, without reference to sin, to those who eagerly await him. Psalm 107 O oh, give thanks to Yahweh, for he is good, for his loving kindness endures forever. Let the redeemed of Yahweh say so, whom he has redeemed from the hand of the adversary, and gathered from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. They wandered in the wilderness along the way of the wasteland. They did not find an inhabited city. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. Then they cried out to Yahweh in their trouble. He delivered them out of their distresses. He led them by a straight way, to go to an inhabited city. Let them give thanks to Yahweh for his loving kindness and for his wondrous deeds to the sons of men. For he has satisfied the thirsty soul and the hungry soul he has filled with what is good. There were those who inhabited darkness and the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and irons, because they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. So he subdued their heart with labor. They stumbled and there was none to help. Then they cried out to Yahweh in their trouble. He saved them out of their dis distresses. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death, and broke their bands apart. L let them give thanks to Yahweh for his loving kindness, and for his wondrous deeds to the sons of men. For he, had sh for he has shattered the doors of bronze, and cut through the bars of iron. Ignorant fools, because of their way of transgression, and I because of their iniquities, were afflicted. Their soul abhorred all kinds of food, and they reached the gates of death. Then they cried out to Yahweh in their trouble. He saved them out of, out of their distresses. He sent his word and healed them, and provided them escape from their destructions. Let them give thanks to Yahweh for his loving kindness, and for his wondrous deeds to the sons of men. Let them also offer sacrifices of thanksgiving, and recount his works with joyful singing. Those who go down to the sea in ships, who do business on many waters, they have seen the works of Yahweh, and his wondrous deeds in the deep. He spoke and set up a stormy wind, which raised up the waves of the sea. They went up to the heavens, they went down to the depths. Their soul melted away in the calamity. They staggered and swayed like a drunken man, and all their wisdom was swallowed up. Then they cried to Yahweh in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distresses. He caused the storm to stand still, so that its waves were hushed. Then they were glad because they were quiet, so he led them to their desired haven. Let them give thanks to Yahweh for his loving kindness, and for his wondrous deeds to the sons of men. Let them exalt him also in the assembly of the people, and praise him at the seat of the elders. He makes rivers into wilderness, and springs of water into a thirsty ground, a fruitful land into a salt waste, because of the evil of those who inhabited it. He makes a wilderness into a pool of water, and a dry land into springs of water. And there he causes the hungry to inhabit, so that they may establish an inhabited city, and sow fields and plant vineyards, and produce a fruitful harvest. Also he blesses them, and they multiply greatly, and he does not let their cattle decrease. But when they decrease and are bowed down, through oppression, evil, and sorrow, he pours contempt upon nobles, and makes them wander in a pathless void. But he sets the needy securely on high away from affliction, and makes his families like a flock. The upright see it and are glad, but all unrighteousness shuts its mouth. Who is wise, let him keep these things, and carefully consider the loving kindnesses of Yahweh. Amen. All right. Proverbs 
Be wise, my son, and make my heart glad, that I may respond with a word to him who reproaches me. All right, well, that is our reading for the day. Again, I continue to pray uh, that this time together helps to keep you saturated in the word. I hope you have yourself a wonderful day. I would continue to implore you to do all that you do for the glory of God, and I hope to see you for the evening segment. Let's go ahead and close out with prayer. The one we're going to close out with is called self-knotting. Let's pray. O Lord, help me to approach thee with becoming conception of thy nature, relations, and designs. Thou inhabitest eternity, and my life is nothing before thee. Thou dwellest in the highest heaven, and this cannot contain thee. I live in a house of clay, thy power is almighty. I am crushed before the moth, thy understanding is infinite. I know nothing as I ought to know, thou canst not behold evil, I am vile. In my ignorance, weakness, fears, depressions, may thy spirit help my infirmities, with supplies of wisdom, strength, and comfort. Let me faithfully study my character, be willing to bring it to light, observe myself in my trials, judge the reality and degree of my grace, consider how I have been ensnared or overcome. Grant that I may never trust my heart, depend upon any past experiences, magnify any present resolutions, but be strong in the grace of Jesus, that I may know how to obtain relief from a guilty conscience, without feeling reconciled to my imperfections. Sustain me under my trials, and improve them to me. Give me grace to rest in thee, and assure me of deliverance. May I always combine thy majesty with thy mercy, and connect thy goodness with thy greatness. Then shall my heart always rejoice in praises to thee. Amen. All right. Again, I hope you have yourself a wonderful day, and I hope to see you for the evening segment. Have a good one. God bless. Welcome to the evening segment of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. Good evening and welcome to the evening segment of the Thursday, November 9th episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I continue to be Wayne Floyd, your host. All right, we're going to be continuing on in our study of the Gospel of John. We're going to be moving on into John chapter 15. John 15, we'll be starting at the beginning of it. So let's go ahead and let's just dive right in. Let's go ahead and open up with prayer. We're going to be opening up with one, of course, like we always do from Valley of Vision. This one is called Divine Promises. Divine Promises. Let's pray. Glorious Jehovah, my covenant God, all thy promises in Christ Jesus are yea and amen, and all shall be fulfilled. Thou hast spoken them, and they shall be done, commanded, and they shall come to pass. Yet I have often doubted thee, have lived at times as if there were no God. Lord, forgive me that death and life, when I have found something apart from thee, when I have been content with ephemeral things. But through thy grace I have repented. Thou hast given me to read my pardon in the wounds of Jesus, and my soul doth trust in him, my God incarnate. The ground of my life, the spring of my hope, teach me to be resigned to thy will, to delight in thy law, to have no will but thine, to believe that everything thou dost is from my God. Help me to leave my concerns in thy hands, for thou hast power over evil, and bringest from it an infinite progression of good, until thy purposes are fulfilled. Bless me with Abraham's faith, that staggers not at promises through unbelief. 
May I not instruct thee in my troubles, but glorify thee in my trials. Grant me a distinct advance in the divine life. May I reach a higher platform, leave the mists of doubt and fear in the valley, and climb to hilltops of eternal security in Christ, by simply believing he cannot lie or turn from his purpose. Give me the confidence I ought to have in him who is worthy to be praised and who is blessed forevermore. Amen. All right, and our evening devotion from Spurgeon's Morning and Evening, the text is from Isaiah thirty-three sixteen. His place of defense shall be the munitions of rocks. Bread shall be given him, his water shall be sure. Do you doubt, O Christian, do you doubt as to whether God will fulfill his promise? Shall the munitions of rock be carried by storm? Shall the storehouses of heaven fail? Do you think that your heavenly Father, though he knoweth that you have need of food and raiment, will yet forget you? When not a sparrow falls to the ground without your father, and the very hairs of your head are all numbered, will you mistrust and doubt him? Perhaps your affliction will continue upon you till you dare to trust your God, and then it shall end. Full many there be who have been tried and sore vexed till at last they have been driven in sheer desperation to exercise faith in God. And the moment of their faith has been the instant of their deliverance. They have seen whether God would keep his promise or not. Oh, I pray you, doubt him no longer. Please not Satan, and vex not yourself by indulging any more those hard thoughts of God. Think it not a light matter to doubt Jehovah. Remember, it is a sin, and not a little sin either, but in the highest degree, but in the, I'm sorry, but in the highest degree criminal. The angels never doubted him, nor the devils either. We alone, out of all the beings that God has fashioned, dishonor him by unbelief and tarnish his honor by mistrust. Shame upon us for this. Our God does not deserve to be so basely suspected. In our past life, we have proved him to be true and faithful to his word, and with so many instances of his love and of his kindness, as we have received in our daily receiving at his hands, it is base and inexcusable that we suffer a doubt to sojourn within our heart. May we henceforth wage constant war against doubts of our God, enemies to our peace and to his honor, and with an unstaggering faith believe that when what he has promised he will also perform. Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. That's one of my favorite verses because I, I feel it so often that I need my unbelief to be helped because um, that's where I stagger the most. All right, well. So we have moved into John chapter 15. We're there. We're there. We've finally gotten through the first 14 chapters of John. Um, and I know the end of <laughs> the end of the 14th one felt like it was very, very long, um, considering we took almost two weeks dealing with five verses. So I'm sorry. I know it was long, but I felt we really needed to break it down that way and deal with it that way. So Again, we move into John chapter 15 now again. And so, um, <laughs> so, okay, so let's, let's do a few things. Okay. So, so a little context and I'm going to do this fast. Uh, the disciples, they have, um, well, the disciples and Jesus, they've gone into the upper room that the triumphal entry has happened. They've gone into the upper room. They're getting ready to celebrate the Sabbath or the, or I'm sorry, the Passover, excuse me. Um, and they've gone in 
and Jesus has washed their feet. He's told them somebody's going to betray, betray him. He's told them Peter's going to deny him. He sent Judas on to go ahead and betray him. And, you know, Satan has entered Judas. Um, and from what we get from John's verses, it seems like that John the Apostle's the only one who really caught the fact that Jesus was identifying Judas as um, the one that was going to betray him. Um, but like I've said, for the for these eleven that are left, it feels like their life is coming apart. I mean, again, they they don't they don't know what to do. They really don't know what to do at this point. Again, and I, I again I keep saying it, it's not from a mercenary sense, but this guy has been their hope and stay. This guy has been their provider. I mean, yeah, he's been their teacher and he's provided them and fed them spiritually and fed them the word of God, but he's also fed them physically. I mean, people have donated and all that and it's provided for them. Um, so they've not worked their jobs in three years. Um, and in that day and time, trying to turn around and go back to it, I, I, like I've commented before and we talked at, you know, at length about it. Uh, that's not going to be an easy thing to do. And again, they don't live. I mean, this is, these are not, these are not preppers, you know, that they've, they've got six months to a year or two years worth of food, even freeze dried food and whatever else stored up so that they can be, I mean, these, these are people who live day to day, who live hand to mouth. I mean, that's just how it was. So, uh, you know, they're at a loss, but at the same time, they know Jesus is the Messiah. Now, again, we've talked about it. They've, they've got a misunderstanding of what that really means. They see him as an earthly Messiah, an earthly savior, um, as in he's going to take over. He's going to throw off the Roman yoke. Um, he's going to bring peace to the Jews. He's going to stomp everybody else around them, all their enemies, you know, on and on and on. I mean, I can keep going. Um, but that's what they see. And here he is telling them. And, and so on top of this, he's told them clearly, I'm going to be murdered. I'm going to be crucified. He's made clear. I am going to be crucified, which completely just discombobulates them because they're like, well, how can he become king if he's going to die? Again, they're not, they're spiritually blind in this matter. Again, their faith is wavering and is struggling a, a bit. So Jesus has done what he can. We saw that through 14, tried to, tried to lift them up, tried to provide them some comfort, tried to show them that this is God's plan. I'm doing what God said to do. It's going to be okay. And, you know, they're still struggling with it. So, you know, and I, I misstated last evening. And I indicated, you know, cause Jesus says there at the end of 14, you know, get up, let's go. Well, and I'm paraphrasing there, but he's basically saying, all right, it's time to go. Let's get up and let's go. And I indicated they left. Well, that's not necessarily true. I was incorrect there. So in contradiction to what I said last evening, Jesus and the 11 have not yet left the upper room. Jesus has said, let us go, but they've not went yet. Now, I can identify with that. And it, it kind of bothered my wife that I brought this up, but I had to be honest about it. I, I said many, I, you know, my, my thing is many is the time that my wife has said, we need to go. And I'm still sitting there 30 minutes later, waiting for her to finish her conversation. Now to be completely above board, it happens the other way too. My wife will go, Hey, we've got to go. And I'll look at the time and go, oh, yeah, we got to go. And 30 minutes later, I'm still talking. So it goes both ways, please. I'm not trying to throw my wife under the bus. I'm the same way. So, you know, Jesus still has things he's got to tell them. Eventually they are going to go out 
And they are going to start walking through the streets of Jerusalem. And I'm sure at that point, he's still teaching them um, because he's trying to teach them up to the last minute till he's arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. So they're going to progress through through Jerusalem on to the Mount of Olives and to the Garden of Gethsemane. And by the way, yes, it's still there. No, it's not as big as it, as, as it would have been then. And yes, it is still olive trees. Yes, it is still full of olive trees or, or still has olive trees in it. Um, and it, it's actually kind of interesting. It is side of a hill. Um, you go up over the hill and there's Bethany. So anyways, it's, so it's not, so they're going to head out there but they've not yet left the room. Again, this is called the upper room discourse um, from um, John 13. um, I think it was 31 or 21 Um, from there all the way through John 16 is what's called the upper room discourse. And it, again, it is the private ministry, the ministry Jesus has with those, with his disciples. He's privately discussing with them. Public ministry is over. He's ended that. Okay. So this is the private ministry. So what we're moving into today um, and this is, this is going to go, we're going to, we're going to have a couple of, couple of, uh, couple of things about this. This will probably take us into next week, God willing, but this is the section we're, we're going to get the last of the, I am statements. We're going to get the last of the, I am statements, um, that are recorded in the gospel of John from Jesus. And in this case, we're talking about the true vine. So our verses for this section are going to be John 15 verses one through 11. Um, I'm going to go ahead and read all of that, but we're going to take, we're going to deal with kind of verse one and then part of verse five today. And then we're going to work through some of the other verses in a little bit or tomorrow. All right. So John 15 verses one through 11, I am the true vine and my father is the vine grower. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he cleans it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit from itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing." If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up, and they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. So, like I said, this is the section about I am the true vine. Um, And again, Jesus is, you know, Jesus has used many analogies here. So, you know, this is not a new thing. Use many analogies to describe the relationship of God with his people. He's talked about the father and the children, the shepherd and the sheep. And he's talked about himself as shepherd as well, because he's God incarnate. He's talked about him as king and subjects. He talks about himself and, and, um, and us as the head and the body. So there's been any number of analogies he used. Well, so what he's going to use in these verses is he's going to take about, talk about the vine and the branches, the vine and the branches. So that that's the overall title 
for this section, the vine and the branches. And what we're going to talk about today is the vine and the vine dresser. So the vine and the vine dresser from chapter or from verse one, but also verse five, a reiterates Jesus saying, I am the vine. So we're going to talk about first the vine itself. So again, I am the true vine, very beginning of verse one, and then beginning of verse five, I am the vine. So again, this is the last of the seven I am statements that are recorded in John's gospel, where Jesus says, I am something like I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. He, he provides sustenance. Um, I am the shepherd. I am the good shepherd. You know, um, there, there's enough, there's, there's seven of them. This being the seventh of them where he states this clearly again, these are not the, I am as in, you know, where we go, I am, and we add the he, because it's basically saying I am Yahweh. That's not what we're talking about. It's I am something specific. And in in the majority of these, in, in these cases, he's, he's making an analogy. He's, he's trying to dis- describe something as an analogy. So again, to you and I, it might sound kind of weird because all of a sudden he's talking about a vine and the branches are a vine and a vine grower and the vine bearing fruit, all this kind of stuff. And to you and I, that, that may seem really, really weird. Um, cause it's just not normal. I, the fact is you, most of us don't live in an agrarian society. We don't, we don't live in a farming society, even though there are farms here in America. The sad fact is so many people outside of America are trying to buy up American farms and take over. And as, as are people that like Bill Gates and them who really should be, have their money taken away. So they can't do it because they're trying to take control of the planet. But anyways, just my personal opinion there. Sorry. Got on a soapbox for a minute, but, but again, you and I on a daily basis don't typically deal with that unless, unless you like to garden a bit, but even then it's kind of on a limited basis. But on top of that, the vine imagery was not new in the first century, not, not in first century Israel. It was very old for the Jewish people as it can be found in the old Testament. The old Testament speaks of Israel as God's vine. Psalm 80 verse eight. You removed a vine from Egypt, you drove out the nations, and then you planted it. You know, this is speaking of God taking the Jews out of Egypt and eventually planting them in the promised land between the sea and the Jordan River. And what what was Israel? Uh, Jeremiah 2.21, Yet I planted you a choice vine, a completely true seed. How then have you turned yourself before me into, a, into the degenerate shoots of a foreign vine? So God is indicating through Jeremiah that he planted them in the promised land as a choice vine, as his choice vine, yet they've turned away from him. They've, they've chased after other gods. So they've become foreign and they become the shoots of a foreign vine, a vine alien to God. Again, this is not another of God. It's something completely alien to God. That's what that foreign vine that means the, the foreign there, the Hebrew there is very clear that it is an alien vine, an alien, something alien to God. Okay. Hosea 10, one Israel is a luxuriant vine. He produces fruit for himself. The more abundant his fruit, the more altars he abounded, the better his land, the better he made the sacred pillars. So God is actually lamenting here. I mean, it sounds like, Oh, everything's great. Except the problem is really what he's doing is lamenting the fact that as he, as God has made Israel prosperous and turned them into a luxuriant vine, the more they're able to produce, the more they become confident in and of themselves. And the more and more, the more altars he abounded. These are not altars of God. 
That's not what we're talking about. You know, the better his land, the better he made the sacred pillars. He makes sacred pillars. These are not pillars for the worship of God. So they've turned away from God. Um, Isaiah 27, two through six. And that day, a vineyard of delight, a vineyard of delight, sing of it. I, Yahweh, am its keeper. I water it every moment, lest anyone damage it. I keep it night and day. I have no wrath. Who would ever give me briars and thorns in the battle? I would step on them. I would burn them completely. Or let him rely on my strong defense. Let him make peace with me. Let him make peace with me. In the day to, to, days to come, Jacob will take root. Israel will blossom and, and bud. And they will fill the whole world with produce. So again, he's in this case, he's talking about them coming back, them coming back and being fruitful. But Israel's rejection, and, and honestly, one of the best, one of the best right here, and I, I always think of this, and then I think there's actually a New Testament story we're going to read in just a minute, same thing. But Israel's rejection of God's care is best shown in Isaiah 5, verses 1 through 7. I've heard a wonderful sermon on this um, by by John MacArthur, that is just awesome. But Isaiah 5, verses 1 through 7, and this really speaks of it here. Let me sing now for my well-beloved, a song of my beloved concerning his vineyard. My well-beloved had a vineyard on a fertile hill. He dug it all around, removed its stones, and planted it with the choicest vine. And he built a tower in the middle of it, and also hewed out a wine, a wine vat in it. Then he hoped for it to produce good grapes, but it produced only worthless ones. So now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, please judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? Why, when I hoped for it to produce good grapes, did it produce worthless ones? So now let me tell you what I am going to do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge, and it will be consumed. I will break down its wall, and it will become trampled ground. I will lay it waste. I will not be pruned. It will, I'm sorry, it will not be pruned or hoed, but briars and thorns will come up. I will also command the clouds to rain no rain on it. For the vineyard of Yahweh of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah his delightful plant. Thus he hoped for justice, but behold, bloodshed. For righteousness, but behold, a cry of distress. And again, this is speaking clearly. I mean, this, obviously, the, the choicest vine that was placed there was Israel. And with all the care he gave it, Israel continued to turn from him. I mean, you know, and produce bad fruit, not good, good grapes. So very, very clear. And I mean, it's very, very clear agrarian um, analogy of what they had turned into. So, but sad thing is you get to first century Israel and you can tell that the, that, that the religious elite, the Pharisees and Sadducees, chief priests and scribes did not see that as describing themselves. It did but they didn't see it as describing themselves. Just a minute, I need a drink. But we see Jesus tell a very similar story in the New Testament, Matthew 21, verses 33 through 43. So I'm going to read that one. Listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard and put a wall around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and rented it out to vine growers and went on a journey. Now, when the harvest time approached, he sent his slaves to the vine growers to receive his fruit. And the vine growers took his slaves and beat one and killed another and stoned a third. Again, he sent another group of slaves larger than the first, and they did the same thing to them. 
But afterward he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. But when the vine growers saw the son, they said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and seize his inheritance. And they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those vine growers? They said to him, He will bring those wretches to a wretched end and will rent out the vineyard to other vine growers who will pay him the proceeds at the proper season. So Jesus responded to them. He said to them, Did you never read in the scriptures, the stone which the builders rejected, this became the chief cornerstone. This came about from the Lord, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a nation, producing the fruit of it. Again, Jesus is making clear in this case, the vine growers, they're the vine dressers. They're not, they're, they are not showing reverence to God. They are not continuing to worship God. They are absolutely certain that you know, they've provided for themselves. They're owed this. They don't owe anything to him. And so they killed his prophets, which is, which is historically accurate. And with the son, he's speaking of himself. He is that chief cornerstone, the stone, which the builders rejected the builders being the, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the chief priests, the scribes, they've rejected Jesus. That's what he's saying. So he's being clear that the kingdom of God is being taken away from them. So Israel obviously is the empty vine. It has made itself that way. And as I've said before, they had turned their religion, their belief system that God had handed down into a false religion. So they were vines which produced no fruit. So Jesus Christ is the true vine. And through him, all the blessings will now come. True here in the true and and the word true here, I am the true vine in the Greek there is referring to what is real, what is perfect, what is genuine. So he is the real vine. He is the, the perfect vine. He is the genuine vine because the blessings will come through him. Again, the blessings would come had they, had they, had they, um, continued to obey God, to be obedient to God then the blessings would have come through God. They would have come through um, the, the blossoming and the growing. I mean, the, the fact is, um, at least at that time, um, that area of what is Israel, what was Israel, was very, very fertile. Very, very fertile. I mean, it was a breadbasket to them. It was awesome. But the fact is, while it produced real fruit, they became so self-confident, it produced no spiritual fruit. And that's what's being talked talked of here. So Jesus being the real vine, the true vine, the real vine, the perfect vine, the genuine vine, that's where the spiritual blessing is going to come through. Not from the law, but from Christ. So that's the true vine. But the other part I want to talk about is the father being the vine grower. So, and my father is the vine grower. That's the end of verse one. Um, in a, in a number of um, translations, it's vine dresser. And I'm going to talk about that. I actually like vine dresser better, but both are accurate. So, of course, the uh, so again, of course, the father, so Jesus' father, God, must be the vine grower or vine dresser. So, this is not, so, so yes, this is a farmer. Okay, this is a farmer. It's agrarian, like I said. And this is someone who plants the vines, who fertilizes them, who waters them, who protects them. 
again, you know, talked about the wall around and the wine vat made in the tower. The tower was for protection. But one of the main jobs of a vine grower, and you don't really think about it as the grower, but particularly when you say vine dressing, the vine dresser, the dresser part of that is the key part of it. And that's why sometimes I think that's a better word to use, my personal opinion. But the primary job of the vine dresser is to remove the branches that would not bear fruit and prune the ones that did bear fruit, which would enable them to bear more fruit. So you've got the branches that produce no fruit and the branches that that do produce fruit. And what we're going to see tomorrow night as we start working on through this, God willing, is we're going to talk about two, the two different types of branches, the branches that produce fruit because they abide in Christ and the branches that produce no fruit because they don't abide in Christ. So that's what we're going to talk about tomorrow evening and on into Monday, God willing. But again, that's what we're seeing. That's that's the whole point of this, this whole vine and branches um, analogy and God being the vine dresser. That And it's very, very clear. Even Paul talks about it. You know, he's very clear to them. He's talking to Gentiles, and I can't remember. I think it's the Corinthian letters. Um, I, I think it's them where he's talking to them about is, yeah, that that's great that you are a branch grafted into the vine that is Christ. But you've been grafted in in place of branches, Jews, that were unfruitful, that have been removed. So he, what he's clear about is don't get too confident about that. Yes, you've been grafted in, but if he would remove those of his chosen people that weren't producing fruit, won't he remove you of the Gentiles that aren't producing fruit? And he's not trying to bash on Gentiles. He's just trying to be clear is don't get cocky about it because the only he's, he's clear about it. The only way that you're being blessed this way is because the Jews rejected Christ. So he's like, don't get cocky about it because even God's chosen struggled with this. So he's trying to be clear about it. But he, again, it's that continuing vine vine and branches metaphor. So the branches are us. We've got to understand that the branches are us. And so what we're going to talk about is is the, the key features here of these verses is, is these two groups, those that abide in Christ, those branches that abide, abide in Christ, and those branches that don't, and those that don't bear no fruit and those that do bear fruit, but, but get pruned so that they bear more. So again, that can be tough on us, but that's what this is talking about. That is where this is going to head. So that's going to do it for this evening. Thank you for coming and spending this time with me. I continue to pray that it helps to keep you, uh, helps to um, improve your knowledge of the scripture and helps you to grow in that. I hope you have a wonderful evening, and I hope to see you tomorrow morning. Let's go ahead and close out with prayer. We're going to close out with the fifth day evening prayer. It's called protection. O Lord God, thou art a preserver, governor, savior, and coming judge. Quieten our souls to call upon thy name. Detach us from the influence of the flesh and the senses. Impress us with the power of faith, promoting us spirituality of mind that will render our services acceptable to thee and delightful and profitable to ourselves. Bring us into that state which attracts thine eye and prepare us to receive the proofs of thy love. Show us our danger that we may fly to thee for refuge. Make us sensible of our sin's disease that we may value the, the good physician. Placard to us the cross that it may slay the enmity of our hearts. 
help us to be watchful over our ways, jealous over our tempers, diligent over our hearts. May we, when we droop, revive us. When we loiter, quicken us. When we go astray, restore us. Possess us with more of that faith, which is the principle of all vital godliness. May we be rich in faith, be strong in faith, live by faith, walk by faith, experience the joy of faith, do the work of faith, hope through faith, perceiving nothing in ourselves, may we find in the Savior wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, redemption. Amen. All right, again, I hope you have yourself a wonderful night, and I hope to see you tomorrow morning. Have a great night. God bless. 